People ask me to go on AIM. I had to like get back on AIM when I when I was at Business Insider. That was like they were like I love that. We should bring that yeah. back. Sorry guys. Sorry. Slack is great. But <laughs> have you tried AIM? <laughs> no, thankfully I have not. <laughs> Complex multi-cloud environments, siloed teams, a huge volume, velocity, and variety of data that overwhelms human teams. Well, download Dynatrace's free ebook to learn how you can overcome these challenges, innovate faster, and transform the way you work with AI and automation. Visit dynatr.ac slash podcast to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the hey. Stack Overflow podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Ben. How's it going? I heard you're giving away eggs now that you live on a farm. You know, up here in the country... In these rural environs, somebody gave me an, a very nice Guinness Stout chocolate cake for St. Patrick's Day, and I was like, well, I should give you something. So I gave them a dozen eggs because I have lots of, to spare. It's really wild. Like, you know, when daylight savings times rolls around, you're like, why do we do this? Like, I don't get it. It's so arbitrary or whatever. But actually, when we lost an hour, like right when we lost an hour, the, the chickens basically stopped laying. Like it went from like Whoa. 10 eggs a day to like two, three, four, zero. It's like the, the chicken light, union. It. They know. The union let them know. Exactly. They're like really in tune with the solar cycle. So like now that I've been doing this boutique farming, this dilettante farming for a minute, it's kind of (laughs) starting to make sense because like things just like shut down when the light leaves and and wake up when the light comes back. So uh, Sarah, we have two great guests today. Uh, Shay and Steve are joining us from Slack. I was on a call yesterday with a company to be unnamed about a potential partnership and they just kept being like, we love Slack. And I was like, yep. Here at Stack Overflow, and they're like, you know, when I'm using Slack, and I just kept being like, sure, whatever <laughs> you say, same. we're gonna make this work somehow. But um, Shay, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Well, Thank hi. you so much Thanks for, for having us. us. So, Shay, tell us a little bit about who you are, and uh, yeah, what you work on day to day at Slack. So, I've been at Slack for about three years on our developer relations team. Before that, I was at Purdue studying computer science, um, and there I kind of got involved in the hackathon scene, which is where I learned the beginnings of what developer relations is. Um, and so, I ended up interning at Slack and then going there full time. And I started at Slack on our open source tooling team, which is the team that Steve now manages, but have since shifted more towards like the education realm in terms of like building out programs to better teach people how to build on top of our platform. Very cool. And Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your journey into software and to Slack? Sure. Um, hey, everybody. I'm Steve Gill. As Shay mentioned, I'm the, the developer relations manager of the, of the tooling team here. Previously, I've been uh, working in open source projects for over 10 years. So you could say open source is a part of my DNA. I used to work at Adobe uh, during the early days of an open source project named Cordova, which really allowed uh, mobile app development to be available for web developers. Yeah, I love Cordova. I'm a big fan. <laughs> oh, awesome to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been around. Yeah, I've done a lot of Cordova. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. I actually started on it when it was PhoneGap pre-Adobe, but... Yeah, that's great. React Native early. <laughs> early <laughs> totally. React Native. Yeah, and then about a year and a half ago, uh, I joined the team here at Slack, the tooling team as a developer. And yeah, we're working on some really cool projects. We got SDKs in JavaScript, Python, and Java. And more recently, we've been focusing on our Bolt framework, which we're excited to talk about today. 
What's Bolt? Tell us about Bolt. I'm excited about this. Yeah, um, Bolt is a framework we built around two years ago. It was me and one other person, Anker, who's now uh, starting the developer relations at Notion. And it's just a framework that we built to kind of abstract Slack's platform, um, mostly the APIs and the more complex platform features so that it becomes a bit easier to build on top of the platform enabling people to like use the more in-depth platform features right when they're approaching the platform rather than having to learn all of the cruft and history uh, that comes with that. We first started it in JavaScript and then have since then kind of expanded it to Python and Java in the past year. So your team must have a lot of people that are fairly flexible language-wise or do you have a specific group working on the Python extension and the vault. Yeah, it's been interesting. Me and Anker both were pretty good at JavaScript. That was kind of where we lived. And we had one other person on the team at the time that was really good at Python, which is why all of our tools always started in JavaScript and Python. And then since we've gotten another person, Kaz, who is very, very good at Java. So there's that like kind of language spread now where we do have those kind of language experts, but also other people from the team kind of chipping in and kind of learning the languages over time. Yeah, to make it work, we all had to learn some of the languages for sure. Um, That sounds fun. Yeah, it it definitely has been fun. I mean, we're always kind of concerned if it's just one person doing all of the work on one language, you know, the whole get hit by a bus theory that we do, but... So we've been trying especially to especially Java, especially Java. <laughs> yeah, uh, those darn buses always aiming for programmers. It's so weird. <laughs> Called the trolley problem, Sarah. It's a really big problem. <laughs> programming. And the Java support, Java support was quite interesting because Kaz, who Shay mentioned, actually did that as a side project outside of like the work that he did in Slack. So cool. he ended up implementing that project. He just really liked Bolt and the concepts behind it. And then once he kind of joined our team, uh, it made sense to move that and make it an official Slack project. What are your favorite apps? Like, what kind of stuff do you get excited about? So there's a lot of apps that were built by like smaller developers early on in the Slack platform that are like pretty cool and take advantage of a lot of the features. Some of the like simple ones are like polling apps. Like there's a simple pull app that was like one of the first on the platform. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's created by this great guy, Wilhelm, and he just like did it as a side project. And then now it's like the most popular polling app on our platform. And which doesn't sound like a big thing, but it turns out like polling... Yeah, yeah, every enterprise company needs a polling app. So now you have all of these like huge enterprises using this one guy's polling app, which is interesting. Yeah, we use that one internally. We're like, what's the best headline? What should the social promotion be? We use that on the marketing content side. Everybody gets mm-hmm. to vote on what they think will perform best. But that, I guess, you know, takes us kind of in that direction of, yeah, what if one day Wilhelm or the general, you know, the, the guy you mentioned just is like, I don't want to do this mm. anymore. And now all of a sudden all those big enterprises can't No one knows polls. what we're going to have for what, lunch. What happens? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen or else yeah. we're, that's a scary platform problem for Slack. I think there are alternative polling apps as well. And the platform does make it easy to create your own if you're interested. <laughs> so Yeah. Um, Shay, you mentioned that you're at Purdue and doing hackathons there. I bet like being able to build Slack apps that is a hit at hackathons. 
Like I, that yeah. would be something I'd love to do at a hackathon. Yeah. It's really good for the hackathon scene because the API is, is quite simple and most people have a familiarity with like, I mean, an IRC message kind of paradigm or just messaging in general. Like it's pretty easy to know what you can start doing with an app. Yeah. And so it's really easy to start building. So it's good for that like hackathon scene. But yeah, I created a Slack app at a hackathon before I worked at Slack, uh, just because like our our hackathon executive board use Slack internally. So it was like a cool, like little fun project to like automate. And so do you uh, have memories of what life was like in the pre-Slack days? I worked at a couple of media companies from like 2008 until it arrived and we would always roll our own IRC. It would get super janky. It was a chance for like tech writers who also had a little programming experience to show off. I remember one of the, the worst things was definitely like search and archive. Like we could find nothing. You know, you said something to somebody a month later, it would be gone. And of course, yeah, there wasn't anything like the, the integrations. It was like, you know, a place to break out into teams and to have private messaging, but nobody was really building any kind of integrations. Do you have IRC experiences from back in the day? Yeah, definitely. I know my old team, we went through various different chat platforms to find the right fit. Early on, we were small enough that we were all in the same office, so we didn't really need a chat platform. Like email was kind of what we were doing. Crazy. Which I think a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, which a lot of people can, I think, relate to. Eventually, we, we tried out Google Hangouts for a while, which was a terrible idea. Imagine like 25 people in one giant Google Hangout mm, group. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People asked me to go on AIM. I had to like get back on AIM when I when I was at Business Insider. That was like, they were like, I love that. We should bring that back. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Slack is great. (laughs) Have you tried AIM? (laughs) No, thankfully, I have not. (laughs) Yeah. And then and then after that, we we jumped onto IRC cloud for a bit, which worked out, you know, pretty decently. But we really found our groove once we jumped onto Slack, which I think was probably in about 2014. And then we never looked back. And, you know, and everyone that I know that worked with Slack, you know, always loved the product, loved the integrations. So when I had the opportunity to join Slack, it was almost a no brainer. We mentioned earlier on that, yeah, you know, there's ideas around creating a platform shape. You know, you mentioned educating people. What does it take to do that kind of outreach and education? Like if folks are considering, hey, you know, I want to get involved in open source. Maybe I should be developing stuff for Stripe or Slack or GitHub. Like, I want to work on some tools that are going to get me recognition, teach me things, make me part of a good community. What are the things that help people feel like this is a platform where, you know, I can learn and grow and maybe someday participate? Yeah, a lot of that kind of participation and early kind of getting involved with our tools starts from people Mm -hmm. building apps with some of our tools and finding stuff that they really hate about them or or at least like dislike (laughs) a little bit. So that's generally how they start like opening issues or something like that. And we generally get a feel for them. We have like a Slack community workspace. So we like interact with a lot of these developers on a pretty regular basis if if they're willing. And a lot of these developers that end up becoming contributors are pretty outspoken in themselves in a really good way. So we tend to have like a really good relationship with them. They start to make really small changes and then they like get more involved in the project. And and some people, it's been one of their early open source projects that they've first participated in. And so that's been really cool to see. We had Chris Anderson on from 3D Robotics. And he said, when you want to build a community like an online software, you have to make the code just good enough to work, but so bad that everybody wants to yeah. fix it. 
and then people will then pe- the community will. Yeah, I mean, our early tools team was was very very small. When when I joined, I it was like three other people across DevRel, and so like it was forced to be bad. Uh, so that was helpful in that vein. Steve, you said that open source is, is in your DNA. Uh, Sarah is big in that world. Sarah, tell them what you're a board member. What's your tell, tell them your official? Thank you. I just got elected to the board of OpenJS, which is exciting. Oh, uh, well, congratulations! Congrats. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's a really fun organization that is a parent organization of bunch of a bunch of great projects like Node and jQuery and a bunch of others. So it sounds like your team is pretty uh, heavy JavaScript. Do you find that people that are building Slack apps, is that usually where you're, they're coming from? Yeah, I'd say traditionally, for sure, most of our developers were JavaScript developers. But Python is, has really got a lot of steam behind it. And actually, I think, you know, as, as we release new features, we're, we're seeing faster uptick in Python than JavaScript. So it's been interesting to see the community grow like that, yeah. Also, we recently have seen this uptick in Go as well, which is really cool. It's cool. like a fraction, right? But... It's cool to see it like take off so quickly. I don't know of many open source tools that use Go for Slack tools specifically, but it's cool to see. Yeah, and we don't have an official Go library, but uh, there are, is a community one that we we occasionally go and help contribute to. So, Steve, it, you mentioned you know uh, some ideas sort of in the open source world about how to handle you know being a, a project manager and what to do when something succeeds, how to maintain something. Sarah and Paul and I have talked about this many times, but you know, yeah, there is kind of that that kind of balancing act of like, I want to create something, I want more people to use it, but then also, oh my gosh, this is too popular. You know, demands are pouring in for me to fix this, that now, and people are shouting at me. What do you think about that kind of world? Like, what is your idea for how people can get involved in open source but not feel overwhelmed by it? Yeah, I, I think it really comes down to the maintainers to make it an inclusive environment for new contributors. So, you know, in my experience, that means being very responsive on issues that are being filed. You don't want to leave somebody ignored for a week, you know. So on our team, we definitely have like a let's make sure we're responding within 48 hours type rule. And and we rotate triage to make sure that that happens. I also think it's important to have like good contributing.md in your repos, really kind of describing how they can get involved. And, you know, in, in my experience, if someone does file an issue that and they seem interested in sending a pull request, like encouraging them, even jumping on a Zoom call with them to help help them kind of get that first commit. Anything you can do to kind of lower that barrier for them, I think is really worthwhile. And I know like for the Bolt team here in, in particular, we we ended up hiring our second intern, the one after Shay, was actually a, somebody who was contributing to the Bolt open source project. And once we found out their age, they weren't even in university at the time, wow. <laughs> which was crazy. They're so still a high cool. school student. Yeah. So, you know, we found this out and they were sending some really high quality PRs to the project. So we offered them an internship and, you know, they came back for a second internship. And now they're at, they're actually a, an employee here at Slack working on uh, some Electron work, which is Whoa, super cool. cool. They directly uh, work on the team that is contributing uh, to Electron in the open source world at Slack. So they're still doing open source work just Whoa. on another side of the company. That's great. Yeah, the Electron team is awesome. Very That's cool. a really neat opportunity. Just for people who don't know, what is Electron? So essentially, Node.js is how you would build you know, server-side JavaScript or tooling in JavaScript. Electron packages the Node.js 
runtime into a nice little handy framework package, whatever you call it, and uh, allows you to build desktop apps using JavaScript, which is pretty sweet. So before we wrap up, I wanted to chat a little bit about sort of like the future of work. You know, I think here at Stack Overflow, we have Stack Overflow for Teams, which is kind of like you can have a private instance of Stack Overflow in your company. You know, big companies like Microsoft have it and little startups and they use it for documentation and Q&A. And our, our most popular integration is Slack. So people are constantly obviously chatting with their colleagues. They're asking questions. And this is a way to sort of use that real-time conversation and make it into some more like permanent documentation. But we did a piece recently, which I share with you, Shay and Steve, and I just sort of want to get your thoughts on it, about updating our app, you know, to sort of fit with what you're doing and what's coming next. So when you think about the, you know, the future of work and, and how to help people, what's top of mind? I mean, I think for us, one of the things that's come up again and again is teams had to go remote really suddenly. And there's increasingly, uh, you know, a need to work asynchronously and also to figure out, you know, where knowledge is stored and, and how to communicate because you can't just chat with somebody, you know, at the office or over the lunch table. And sometimes you're working in a completely different, you know, time zone. A lot of people have moved. So yeah, tell us a little bit about sort of like what's top of mind for you when you think about Slack and and, and how it can help people with what I think will be kind of like the new normal. It doesn't seem like at least for software developers, things are going to sort of snap back to the old ways in the old office anytime soon. You know, obviously when when COVID hit, it was a big deal for everybody. Uh, and it's been pretty exhausting, I, I'd say, the last year. But Slack has definitely helped the transition for, for me, I would say. Like you mentioned, async messaging has been huge. But a, a big part of that is also setting boundaries about when you're online, when you're offline. Nowadays, it does feel like it's easy for that work life to kind of blend. So for me, I'd recommend you know using something like D and D, Do Not Disturb, reminders, uh, and there's some really nice integrations that could help with that type of work as well. I also found that like trying to eliminate as many meetings as we can has been helpful because people are distributed across the world now. You got to be more open to those async messages. You got to be open to you know receiving responses at a later time. But also, we still like to do some ad hoc meetings when people are online. Just if we're talking about a specific topic, we can just throw in a quick Zoom and, and jump on it if people are available. Uh, I found that's been really helpful. Slack's been really good for kind of breaking out of the nine to five, the traditional nine to five. Mm-hmm. So especially people with kids, like I have a, a little toddler running around at home. Nice. So it's nice to be able to take a break when I need to. I know yeah. that I can you know, work a little earlier or work you know, after she goes down for the night. And that's been very helpful to kind of manage my work-life balance as well. Yeah, I mean, I just to add on in terms of like how some of this adaption, at least internally at Slack, has helped in terms of the platform um, being like these ad hoc meetings. We can just like spin up a, a Zoom instance from within Slack. It feels more natural than like going to throw a Zoom social calendar invite on everyone's calendar as well as just like social apps as well, doing standups in Slack or or just like regular. There's a there's an app called Donut that pairs I you love with. Indiv- yeah, yeah, it's great, and we have it internally, and so it pairs us with people from around platform and just like one on one with like new people starting. Like half of Slack has started remote or something wild like that. So like meeting people that work on the platform, it used to be really quite easy for me, but but now it's been kind of a barrier. So having avenues like that have been really helpful 
And yeah, yeah, that that often is where the platform can come into play in terms of uh, easing that transition. Sarah, what do you what do you use Donut for? Is that kind of like Stack Roulette? It's a little or? like Slack, Stack Roulette. Yeah, it pairs you up with someone at random at in a Slack organization mm-hmm. to have a donut or whatever you like a paleo breakfast bar. So why don't we? Why don't yeah? Why do, why do we stop using Chat Roulette? We could just use Chat Roulette. They don't have a Slack app. <laughs> Get on it. <laughs> Speaking of which, there's another Slack app I love, and now I can't think of the name of it. Maybe y'all can help me. We use it at OpenJS, and it prompts you, you know, once a week to thank someone within the organization for doing something great. It's kind of like, has anyone helped you this week? You know, like what? Oh, thanks, Bot. It's called Thanks, Bot. Thanks, Bot. Yeah. I have to admit that probably the one I've used the most over my entire Slack life is the is the Giphy, but. You know, sometimes it's just better than words. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, just that's definitely the most used app on the platform by far. <laughs> so we okay. never have to okay. plug that so one. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to hear you say, Shay, that so many people have started remote. That that makes me shed a tear as somebody who wants to go back to the office. But I think that's part of it is that so many tech companies have leaned into hiring during this time and totally embraced hiring remote. And so the overall demographic of so many companies has shifted, you know, to be, I think, majority remote now. So it doesn't necessarily make sense to then go back to an office of the same size, you know? I don't know. For me, it's hard because I live alone here. So I'm like very excited to go back to the office as well. And I won't go back every day or anything. But the the flexibility there is nice. But it's it's also just hard to think about how it will pan out after. It's going to be more remote, of course, based on that hiring, based on how people are indicating they don't want to go back into the office always, but a lot of people still want to go sometimes. And it's unpredictable just because yeah. of the times we're in. It's 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 hard to separate the negative from positive. Y'all tell me if you think this would work for you. I was on a call recently and they were just saying, you know, everybody... We're having to adopt. We're having to admit that the nine to five is gone. We have a developer who works four hours a day, seven days a week. That's just what works best for them. What do you think about that? I love like, that. Get up every day at six, crank till ten, and then take. I the think rest of the day there's off. a lot of companies that used to have, or like, I really hope the butts and seats as a success metric goes away. You know, like there's like a lot of companies <laughs> that it's like we have butts yeah. and seats from nine to five, and that is great. And it's like, come on, you're like, is that really what we are all aiming for? Like, just sitting in a chair. I don't know. I, yeah. I like that. I don't know. Right. What do you all think? Yeah, I, I personally would lean towards maybe a four day week if I could <laughs> like cram, cram a bit more and then take that three day weekend. That's that's where I lean. Yeah. All right, everybody. I am Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper and you can always email us. It's a podcast at stackoverflow.com. We want to hear from you. Uh, we try to, you know, share that stuff on the show. I had a recent one that I, I shared with you, Sarah, right? What, what was the, it was like how to don't use elements. So yeah, much. that was, it. That, was that it. that was great. I think that we could all use and not <laughs> use elements so much. Yeah. Shay, if you want to like say, this is who I am, you can find me on social here. What, what, you know, whatever, what do you want to sign off and where where would you like to be found if you want to be? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Shay DeWale. Also, like as we're wrapping up, I want to give a shout out to Eric Kalkoken, who like literally runs our presence on Stack Overflow and is like the, the most engaged person there and probably knows more about the platform than me. And so I have to give a shout out to him while I'm on here. But yeah, I'm on Twitter 
that's probably the best place. I don't even use it very much, but I'm there. Yeah, and you can you can find me on Twitter as well, Steve S. Gill. Thanks again for having us, Sarah and Ben. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much for coming. I am Sarah Chips. I'm director of community here at Stack Overflow. And you can send me crypto at sarahjoe.eth. <laughs>